Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. All right, if you would turn with me, we're still in Genesis 21. This is part three. The trilogy will be complete today. Um, and, and just in case you weren't here, I'm going to go ahead and um, recap a little bit. Um, last week in the life of Abraham, um, Hagar and Ishmael were sent away, um, which was kind of a big deal. Um, and that was, that was my recap. That was my summary. You might have thought I was going to go on. I'm not. Hagar and Ishmael were sent away. And it's, it's, a, it's a pretty big deal um, in the life of Abraham. And if you, if you looked ahead, you may have seen, like, we just came through a very serious event in the life of Abraham, Hagar and Ishmael being sent away. We're about to come upon a huge event in the life of Abraham. Um, and, and all these are like very serious, life-changing events. We see promises fulfilled. We see maybe some questioning of God, but they're all big events. But in between these huge events in Abraham's life, sandwiched in between, is this tiny little side note in Scripture that concerns this King Abimelech, uh, which if you've been with us, you remember that name. I don't know if you remember him, uh, but if you don't, we need to remember him. So um, I'm going to preach that sermon, and then we'll get to this one. Um, no, but I'm just getting—I am going to give you a, a little summary of what happened because we need to—to to look at today's, we need to like have, get the full perspective of this. So Abraham, when he first came into uh, Gerar, an area where Abimelech is king, um, he says, as they come into the area, he says that Sarah, his wife, is his sister— so she's taken by Abimelech, but then God warns Abimelech in a dream. He said, you're as good as dead, for this woman is married and she belongs to another man. And so Abimelech comes to Abraham. He's like, why did you do, why did you do this to me? Why, why didn't you just tell me? And Abraham was like, well, I thought there was no fear of God in this place. And so Abimelech gives him an offering of cattle and, and tells him, like, live wherever you want within the land. And then Abraham has to pray over Abimelech and his wife and his people to open up their wombs again because their wombs have closed. And, but, but Abimelech says, live anywhere you want in the land, and that's kind of where we left it. And so um, Abraham is in Gerar living in these lands. Um, and so that's where they are in their relationship. And now let's look at where they are now in Genesis 21, verse 22. The treaty at Beersheba. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me and the country where you now reside as a foreigner the same kindness I have shown to you. So here we see Abimelech come with the commander of his armies to make a treaty. This is like official business. And it kind of seems like it would be like nation-to-nation -nation official business, right? A nation-to-nation -nation treaty when a king comes with the commander of his armies. But I don't, I don't know if we actually picture Abraham as a nation yet, right? Do we picture Abraham as a nation? I kind of picture him as a large family or a tribe. Um, I wonder if, if Abraham was like, um, is this happening right now? Who, me? And he's like, go out, and he's like, hey, John, come here, John, come here. You're going to be the commander of my armies. And he's like, what? Just say, just say you're the commander of my armies. I need a commander. He's got a commander. we got to line up. You know, you got to talk to him. Pretend you know about war. Okay? Um, but and 
it's so strange to me because we picture him as a family or a tribe, and he's making this treaty with this nation. But I think often when we're walking with God, we, we seem to be more than we feel like we are to other people. Maybe we, we feel a certain way, but that's not exactly how other people see us when we're walking with God. Sometimes when God does something in our lives, it's amazing. We're often unaware. We know what God has done and we are grateful, but we're not aware of all that God is doing in other people's hearts and minds that see this happen. We're not aware of everything that God is doing. We, we always see one thing. We usually see the thing God is doing that affects us, but God is always doing more than one thing. So we're often not seeing everything that God is doing. And I wonder, Isaac being born miraculously, I wonder if Isaac, the birth of Isaac, had a stunning effect on the surrounding peoples. Have you thought about what effect this might have on the people living around them and the people in the tribe? Because I don't think this story didn't spread. I mean, this is an amazing, miraculous story that God has done. Don't think this didn't spread like wildfire throughout the region, right? Sarah, yeah, that Sarah. You remember that Sarah that you took a long time ago? Yeah, and she was old then. You remember how old she was? She's older, and she had a baby. You're like, what? Sarah? Wrinkly Sarah? Yeah, wrinkly Sarah. Remember her? We were like, she's on the verge of death. Remember, she had a baby. And I, people don't describe women that way. I'm just dramatizing it. But, you know, this story had to spread. to be like, I can't believe it. Is, it. is there any truth to this story? This is crazy, right? But, like, I love that you know this story spread like wildfire. But I love that as this story is spreading, as these people who don't know God are talking about this miraculous event and this amazing thing that happened, they're spreading the glory of God. They're actually, unknown to them, spreading the glory of God and giving him glory. And it's just spreading who this God is of Abraham. Every story they spread about Abraham and what has happened to him is spreading the glory of Abraham's God. And it's the same thing for us. When God does something for us, when God does something through us, we often just see how it affects us. But when people talk about it, it's spreading the glory of God through you. It's spreading the glory of your God. When people talk about what God has done in your life, what change he's made in your life, it's spreading the glory of God. And that's what's, being, that's what's happening right now. I wonder if Abimelech had even thought about Abraham in a while, right? If he even thought about him, like people were like, remember that time you took that guy's wife? I mean, it might have popped up at a dinner party story, right? And he's like, don't tell that story. I don't like that story. But he probably didn't think about Abraham at all. But now he's reminded of Abraham in this story. And you better believe because of the incident before, he is reminded of Abraham. He's reminded of the God that Abraham represents. And now Abraham, this little family, this little tribe, that has moved in and grown, he has a legitimate heir, a legitimate heir. And Abimelech says it, so we know that he sees the promise of God on Abraham, and with an heir, maybe Abimelech thinks, okay, well, I have a good relationship with Abraham. We know each other, but he is getting old, and I'm getting old, and we have no treaty. There's no guarantees that his heir will treat my heir kindly. So maybe now's the time to look at this and go set a treaty between our nations that will last beyond us. Maybe we need to do something that will last forever. And you can see this is what he's thinking. 
because what he says it himself, God is with you in everything you do. And he says, swear to not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. He's thinking about the future. And I wonder if, if when Abimelech comes up and says, God is with you in everything that you do. I wonder if Abraham was like, huh. You know, if someone came up to you and said, God is with you in everything that you do. Sometimes it takes someone else to point it out to us, right? Someone, Abimelech says, God is with you in everything that you do, Abraham. And I, I, if Abraham's anything like me, he'd have to be like, hmm, let me think about that. Let me think, wow. The, the fact that you said it to me, the fact that you noticed it is making me think. Is God with me in everything that I do? And I think Abraham could look back and be like, yeah. Yeah, he is. He has been with me in everything that I've done. And, and honestly, to give ourselves some credit, we, we, we look back and we can say, man, God was with me there. Man, I didn't think God was with me, but he was with me there. I can look back and see that God was with me in everything I did. I can see how God was with me. But it's funny how we can't really translate that to the present or the future, right? We're like, God was with me in everything that I did. You're right. I wonder if he's with me in this, though. I wonder if he's going to be with me in that. You know, we can't translate, yeah, he's been with me in everything that I did. He's going to be with me now. He's going to be with me in the future. He's going to walk me through it because he is faithful. We don't, I mean, we don't talk like that, do we? we we're like, like, yeah, he, oh, he was with me. But maybe I've messed it up. We, like, we wonder, like, why was he with me? Like, maybe it was just happenstance. Maybe, but I think I, it's just so strange to me how we can't translate God being with us to God is always with us. And I wonder if we, if what, what would happen if we walked knowing God is with me in everything that I do? If you walk through life knowing God is with me in everything that I do, if you said that aloud, you know, if you went back to the story, you'd like, I, I like to bring this back. They're like, do you have a, have a receipt? I'm like, no, I don't need a receipt. God is with me in everything that I do. <laughs> Okay, do you want to make a treaty with me or do you want to die? You know, it, try it. It'll probably work. Probably get a refund or the cops will be called. But what if we did? What if as Christians we walked and we were like, God is with me in everything that I do. God was with me in everything that I've done. He's with, he's with me now. He's working now. I, I cannot, we can always see what he's done after he's done it. But what if we walked knowing God is at work now? God is with me in everything that I'm doing. And God will be with me no matter what I go through. He's going to be there. He's going to be faithful. What would happen if we walked in that truth? How different would we act? How different would our decisions be if, if we didn't always live in fear of what might happen, of, of what may come of this, of like, if I make a mistake, if, I, if I'm going to mess it up, right? He's with me now, and he will always be with me. He, God is with me in everything that I do. There is a blessing upon me, just as there is a blessing upon Abraham. The same blessing is on our lives when we walk with God. There are blessings for obedience, for walking with him, and, and we can be a blessing to others. So, so what blessings are upon us? Well, it's like that Carrie Job song says. No, I'm just kidding. Um, turn to Deuteronomy. We're going to look in Deuteronomy real quick. Um, so, and it goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay, so go there. Yeah, thanks, babe. <laughs> A little feel the sarcasm there. Um, so we're going to look at what does it mean that Abraham is blessed? So in Deuteronomy, um, and we're just going to read the whole book, 
Um, Moses tells the people, he says, I want you to write the law on Mount Ebal on stones. And from Mount Ebal, you're going to read the curses for disobedience. And then you're going to go on this mountain. And at the same time, some tribes are on Mount Ebal, some tribes are on Mount Gerizim. And from Mount Gerizim, you're going to read the blessings. Okay, and if you can throw up that picture, um, this is Mount Gerizim on the left and Mount Ebal on the right. So these mountains kind of represented, if you can see, the one has like, like lush green on it. And so that's where the blessings are going to be read from. They kind of represent this mountain has blessing on it. It's fruitful. We're going to read the blessings from here. And this other one, the top is like kind of rocky and barren. It's like you're going to read the curses from here. And these mountains would represent blessings and curses as they read these aloud over the people. So we're going to go to Deuteronomy 27. And so that's between 26 and 28. It goes one, two, three. No, just kidding. So I'm going to start in verse 11. And, and these are the curses. And this is after they wrote, wrote the laws on, on the stone on Mount Ebal. It says, On the same day Moses commanded the people, When you have crossed the Jordan, these tribes shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these tribes shall stand on Mount Ebal to pronounce curses. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. I might have been like, why am I in the curses group? Did, can I be in the blessing group? Um, just like kids ever when you assign teams and they're like, can I not be on this team? And you're like, can you just go what I told you? Um, the Levites shall recite to all the people of Israel in a loud voice, Cursed is anyone who makes an idol, a thing detestable to the Lord, the work of skilled hands, and set it up in secret. Then all the people shall say, Amen. I'm not going to read that. Then all the people shall say, Amen, every time, because it happens every time. Cursed is anyone who dishonors their father or mother. Cursed is anyone who moves their neighbor's boundary stone. Cursed is anyone who leads the blind astray on the road. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Cursed is anyone who sleeps with his father's wife, or he dishonors his father's bed. Cursed is anyone who has sexual relations with any animal. Cursed is anyone who sleeps with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother. Cursed is anyone who sleeps with his mother-in-law. Cursed is anyone who kills their neighbor secretly. Cursed is anyone who accepts a bribe to kill an innocent person. Cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. Now, these, this is not all the, the uh, God's laws that people are breaking, but if you notice, all of these things, all of these curses that are proclaimed right here are things that are done in secret. They're things that if you did these, no one might know. You could get away with it, right? Now, now there are laws, if they're broken, people will know. But these are all things that are done in secret, that no one would see, that no one would know. Things that can be easily hidden. Okay, so let's look at the blessings in Deuteronomy 28, 1. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed, and the crops of your land, and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in, and blessed when you go out. 
The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he's giving you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he promised you on oath, if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him. Then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. Because of this blessing, all the peoples of earth will know, will know that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your ground, in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord, your God, that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today to the right or to the left. Follow other gods or serving them. But if you do not obey, they say the curses in Deuteronomy 28, 15. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. You'll be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed and the crops of your land and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. You will be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. It goes, if you noticed, it's the exact opposite of the blessings. The exact opposite will, will come. If you obey me, these things will happen. If you disobey me, these things will happen. And you might have wondered, why did we read that aloud? And really, because I don't have a lot and I thought that would kill some time. Um, I'm just kidding. No, I read that because if you notice, if we, we had to talk about the last time Abraham dealt with Abimelech. Last time Abraham dealt with Abimelech, Abraham brought a curse on Abimelech's family. He brought a curse on Abimelech's family. He was a curse to him because he had a secret. He had a hidden thing, right? He said that his wife was his sister because, why did he do that? Because he was afraid for his life. He was afraid that there was no fear of God in the country. He was afraid they didn't know God. So, so that also means he's afraid that God wouldn't see, see this through. And so he lied. He had a hidden thing out of fear for his life. He had a secret, and it brought a curse on Abimelech. Fear, fear can cause us to do many things that are not of God. If you're following fear, you're never going to get to the land God has for you. You're never going to get there because decisions made out of fear are not decisions of God. God's not afraid. When you're, when you're in fear, you can be like, I'm thinking the most like God right now, and so I'm in the right state of mind to make the best decision when I'm thinking like this. I mean, you're, when you're in fear and you're making decisions out of fear, you're making decisions as far away from the mind of God as you possibly can as far away from the mind of God as you possibly can. You can know, if I'm afraid, and that's leading me to make this decision, if I'm worried about it, and I'm making this decision based on worry, I'm nowhere near where God is on this because God is not worried and God is not afraid and God does not make decisions based on fear. Nor should we because God did not give us a spirit of fear. In 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us the spirit of fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear. What has he given us? power and love 
and a sound mind. Of power and love and a sound mind. And so Abraham makes this decision out of fear, and it puts a curse on Abimelech's family. Abimelech's wife and his whole house, their wombs closed up. And while Abraham did pray for them, he prayed for them and opened their wombs up. That's not like a blessing. He didn't like give them a blessing. He like returned them to normal, right? He returned them to zero. You know, he, he, he actually made up for what he'd done. He actually made up for the, the curse they came under because of his lie. So it's not like he was a blessing to Abimelech. He was like returning things to zero. But here in this other transaction, we can see how Abraham is a blessing. Last time he was a curse, and this time he's a blessing. Let, let's see what I'm talking about. And we're going to go back to Genesis uh, 21. And let's pick up in 25. Or actually, 24, I didn't read that. Abraham said, I swear it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who's done this. You did not tell me. And I only heard it about, about it today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock, and Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart by themselves? He replied, accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So that place was called Beersheba because the two men swore an oath there. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. So Abimelech says, let's make this treaty. I want you to do this, treat me this way, treat my descendants this way. And Abraham says, I will do that. I swear it. But, but before we make this treaty, before there can be peace, I have to get it all out. Before there can be peace, I have to get it all out. And not in a way, not in a way that's like, because we've all done this when you're fighting with someone, you were like, well, since you brought that up, I'm so glad you did. So glad you did. Because two weeks ago, you did this. And three weeks ago, you did this. And I'm just trying to get things clear so we can have peace here. You know what I mean? That's not what he's doing. He's not like, just like, you need to know everything you've ever done wrong to me. I need to gripe for a second. He's in a way of like, okay, all right, we're going to have peace. But I've been harboring a secret. I have a little bit, a, a hidden enmity towards you. You didn't even know about it. You didn't even know about it. But, but you've wronged me, and I've been thinking about it, and it was done to me by you. And so for us to have peace... I got to come I got to come clean with it and you have to know the spirit with which Abraham is doing this his because they want to make this treaty his goal is for peace and when your goal is for peace and you're bringing up something it's to restore the peace and so often we bring up something to keep the fight going right but that's not what Abraham's doing he he does want peace and so he's like before before we can make this peace I need to tell you these things that, that I've been holding against you so we can, we can get back on the right, the right place. And I love that this is like the, the, the laws of God aren't really written till later, but, but they're written into eternity. 
And we can see Abraham doing things that, that aren't really written yet, but you can just tell, man, this guy walks with God and God's telling him what to do because he's acting on things God will say, this is how you do it later. And Abraham's doing it now, right? It's written all over the Bible. In Matthew 18, 15, it says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens and pays attention to you, you have won back your brother with the intention of winning back your brother. Matthew 5, 23, it says, Therefore, you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Before you come to the altar, if there is something wrong, if they, go and make it right. Make peace. Forgiveness is a quality of God that we can see manifested in Abraham's act says in Ephesians 4.26, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. We see this like immediately. Man, forgiveness is a big deal to God. Don't, don't come to the altar if there's something wrong. Go back and make peace. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Because it says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. The foothold is a place to stand. And everyone knows, and, the, and these guys know from, from being at war, man, a foothold is an important thing to make a stand. Like if you don't want to have a foothold, you've, really, you've got no ground to stand on. You can't win a fight. You've got nothing to defend. You can't move forward. You're constantly in defeat. And if you give the devil a foothold with unforgiveness, you're giving him a place to stand, a place to wage battle from. And he says, do not go, go make it right. Do not give the devil a foothold for there to truly be peace between us. Because Abraham, look, Abraham can be like, we can sign this treaty. I can sign a treaty and, and we can make it look like peace. We can have a treaty. We can have signed papers that say our people get along. But it's really, it's coexisting. It's tolerating each other. It's living side by side. But God wants peace. And then Abraham and walking with the mind of God wants peace. So for there to be peace, I have to come clean and come out with the, the hidden things and forgive. And forgive as Christ forgives. Later in Ephesians 4, uh, 32, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. It says, forgive as Christ forgives. Well, how does, how does Abraham forgive as Christ forgives? I'm just going to read it in uh, verse 27. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe from the flock, and Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe you have set apart by themselves? Accept these lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. Abraham provides seven lambs at a cost to him as evidence of what? That he's telling the truth. And, and Abimelech, you can see that this isn't something they do at the time that he's aware of. He's like, why are you giving me these other lambs? And I'm not going to say ooh lambs every time because that was annoying. Why are you giving me these other lambs? Why are you giving me these, these seven other lambs? And I, to be honest, when I read it, I was a little annoyed. A little annoyed. I was like, why is Abraham giving him these lambs? He's innocent. He's innocent, right? I mean, let's look at it from Abraham's perspective and, and our perspective, kind of fitting in Abraham's mind. Okay, you came. 
I dug this well. Can you imagine how difficult it must have been to dig a well? I dug this well. Your men came and took it from me. You're in the wrong. And yet I'm going to give you like lambs to say I'm innocent and take back what is mine. Like if someone said, give me, give me, the, give me your lambs to make peace, I'd be like, mm hmm but now we're going to war. I'm not signing a treaty. Because this, why should this cost Abraham? Abimelech's men are in the wrong. Abraham is the one who is completely innocent, and Abraham is paying for it. Abraham is paying for it, yet Abraham is innocent. Why does Abraham, the innocent one, have to pay the cost? He's the innocent one. He has been wronged. He has done nothing wrong. He's been wronged, and yet he is paying the price. Does everyone see the connection? It makes no sense. It makes no sense by man's standards. It is not fair. In our eyes, it is not just. But God says, forgive as I forgave you. And here we see, so early, Abraham acting as Jesus would act, forgiving as Christ forgave, taking the cost, taking the cost to make things right. Doesn't that just irk you? I mean, doesn't it irk you just a little bit, thinking of yourself being in a fight and someone else has wronged you? And you, I mean, because in our minds, we're like, I'm not, uh-uh. I'm not going up to them. I'm not apologizing. I'm not paying the cost. I'm not bearing the shame. I'm not going to be embarrassed to go and do that. I'm not going to risk them saying no. I'm not going to be the one to hunt myself and go and do that because I didn't do anything wrong. Because I didn't do anything wrong. But we don't see God doing that, does he? He doesn't do it. Abraham offers it up just like God offered up Jesus. Jesus did nothing wrong. Jesus is repairing the relationship of what we've done. He paid the price, and we are told to forgive as he forgave, as he forgave. Now, we have sayings. We have all these wise sayings like, well, you can forgive. I'll forgive, but I'm not going to forget. I'll forgive, but I'm not going to forget. See how that works for you. I tried it once. Is it a spouse fight? And they like come and say, will you forgive me? You're like, I'll forgive you. Yeah, oh, I'll forgive you. So you've already been forgiven, babe. But I'm never going to forget. <laughs> it works like a charm. They love it. Um, I've never tried that because I'm not an idiot. But, like, but, and it seems wise, right? Like we're protecting our hearts from being hurt again, right? Be like, I forgive you, but I've learned and so I'm not going to let, I'm not going to open myself up to hurt anymore. I'm not going to release. I'm not going to release any trust to you. I forgive you, but I'm not releasing any trust to you. I'm not going to treat you the same. I'm not going to treat you the same as you did before. I forgive you, but we're no longer friends. I forgive you, but I don't want to talk to you anymore. But I forgive you, but I just don't forget. Not going to forget. That sounds really wise, right? Protecting, we got to protect our hearts, right? From hurt again. But we aren't really wiping the slate clean, are we? What if God forgave us like that? What if God forgave us like that? What if God was like, yeah, I forgive you. I forgive you that you made a mistake again, that same mistake, but I'm not going to forget. And I'm not going to trust you with anything. I'm not going to trust you with anything. I'm not going to let you hurt me again. I already gave my son. 
I'm not going to release any more trust to you. Isn't a good thing that God doesn't forgive like that? He doesn't forgive like that. And aren't you glad of it? Aren't you glad of it that Jesus wipes the slate clean? And he says to forgive like he does. And we can't just, we can't just say, I forgive you and not actually do it and not actually act on it. We, have to, we say, I forgive you all the time. We say, I've forgiven them. But we have to, we have to really forgive like Jesus forgave. A forgiveness that might cost us something even when we've done nothing wrong. Are you willing to forgive when it only costs you? Are you willing to forgive if it only costs you? They never know. They never come say they're sorry. Like, are you willing to forgive when the cost, the opening up of our hearts to be heard again is only borne by us? It's only borne by us. And then what happens is we forgive, and then they do something else again and be like, I knew better. I knew better than to forgive you. I knew better than to let you back in. Isn't it such a good thing that God's forgiveness is not like that? It is a good thing God's forgiveness is not like that. What would happen what blessings might we pour out if we truly, truly gave this kind of forgiveness? Can you imagine? We talk about, like, I mean, Christians, you know, we give money to help things and, and, and feed people and, like, help these programs and help that program. And, like, but, like, what? And people are like, oh, yeah, Christians are good. Churches are nice. They're very, they're very good in the community. They're well-known in the community. Like, but what if we forgave like Christ told us? to forgive. What if we did that? What a testament. What a testament to our God, right? That story would spread like wildfire, right? And you know what? At first, and this is what we're afraid of, it might make us look like an idiot. That's what we're afraid of, right? That person, that person, uh, oh man, I did this to them, and then I went back, and I did it again, and I did it again, and they just never learn. You know what? They're not street smart. No, I just... Forgive. And I'm not saying how I forgive. Like, this is how I do it. This is, how, this is not. But this is how we're supposed to. This is miraculous. This is Jesus' life changing. This is like spreading the word of Christ. This is like, this is something that people would go and spread the glory of God. We're like, if, if every Christian did it, if like there, there are a people, there are people who forgive. And it's a forgiveness I've never seen before, never heard of. And then they'd be like, oh, that is how Christ forgives. Where it costs us and only us. That type of forgiveness, real forgiveness, because the other one's not really forgiveness, that could change the world. It could change our homes. It could change, I mean, forget about the world. Think about your life. Think about your home. Think about your friends. Think about, I mean, because everyone here, everyone here has some unforgiveness. And, and most times when we close off to being hurt again, it's because someone hurt us deep. And the only people that can hurt us deep are people that we love deeply. And that's what makes it so hard. But God loves us deeply and still paid the cost. He was the innocent party and he paid the full cost all all the cost was on him to repair the relationship. 
He wasn't concerned with what it cost him. If you think about it, this is all over the Bible, forgiveness. Almost all of the parables are about forgiveness. If you think about the prodigal son, he doesn't want the brother to receive full benefits like him. He might have been happy if we, yeah, let's bring him back, but he doesn't get a robe. He's not getting half the, he's not getting half the inheritance. He's not going to take anything from me. I mean, we'll forgive him. Let's not forget what an idiot he was trust him again. Let's not bring it back into the family full fold. We can't forget what he did. He cost his family. He cost me. The brother was too concerned with what it cost him, and he wasn't willing to pay what it cost him for the brother to have full forgiveness. And that's what Jesus is interested in. No, I'm interested in full forgiveness. And we always think, man, I don't want that person to receive full forgiveness, but rarely do we think, but I've received such full forgiveness from God, and I continually receive full forgiveness from God. In the story of the Good Samaritan, this Samaritan has to lay aside the memories of all that this injured traveler's people have done to his people. They have issues. The Jews and the Samaritans have some serious, serious issues, and the Samaritan stops. He has to lay aside. You know, honestly, he could have been like, man, God... God, you are getting your comeuppance. Oh, you reap what you sow. That's in the Bible. I read it, and you're getting it. But he, wasn't, he had to set aside. He had to set that aside. He had to wipe the slate clean at a cost to him. He took on some danger. He took on a cost for, for this person who was injured. And guess what? The Samaritan didn't do anything wrong, and yet he ended up bearing a cost to get this guy to a place of healing and restoration. He couldn't, just, he couldn't just forgive as we've come to know forgiveness. He had to wipe the slate clean at a cost to him. At a cost to him. So, so in this story, this, this well, Beersheba, it means well of oath or well of seven. And then it says at the end, it says um, in verse 33, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. And that just seems like a note at the end. But the everlasting God, the eternal God, is El Olam. And it, this is the first time that name is revealed about God, El Olam. And usually, in a passage, when a name of God is revealed, usually it's like detailed in the story why he's called that. When Hagar calls him the God who sees me, it's because she felt that he saw her. And we could all read, yeah, God saw her. But here, God, Abraham all of a sudden calls God the everlasting God, the eternal God. So what does this passage reveal about how God is the everlasting God? How, how was that revealed? Well, if you look at Matthew 18, 21, Peter asked Jesus about forgiveness. And it says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And that's a lot. Seven times. Right? And he's thinking, and Peter's like thinking like, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty awesome. Jesus is going to be like, wow, Peter, that was great. I was going to say twice. And you, you're just such a great student. But Jesus didn't. Jesus answered, I tell you, not up to seven times but 70 times seven. To the Jews, this implies forever. Lord, how many times 
should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? He's talking about a person. How, how many times, Lord, should I forgive this person for sinning against me? And he says, forever. Every time. Eternally. Everlasting forgiveness. And I think maybe here at this well, Abraham, it's so awesome walking with God. You do things and you're just acting on what you feel like God is leading you to do in the moment. And that's what Abraham doing. doing. And then he goes and plants this tree and he calls on the Lord God. And I wonder if when he calls upon God, God revealed what he was doing. He's like, why, why was I giving that guy those lambs? And I feel like Abraham has a revelation like, that's what you do for me, isn't it? Isn't it? Abraham's getting old too. I think he's looking back and he's saying, man, how many times? How many times did I wrong you, God? I didn't trust you, did I? You told me all those years ago, all those years ago, you'd give me a land and you'd give me a son and I'd be a blessing to people. And here I am. I just saw that I was a blessing to someone and it reminded me of your promise and it reminded me how you were with me. God, you were with me the whole time. Everlasting. You were with me. And the whole time I did nothing but fail. And the whole time I thought I was going to disqualify myself. And the whole time I wondered why you picked me. And here we are. And you have fulfilled everything you said you would do. You've been faithful. You've forgiven me every time. And you've wiped the slate clean. This is what you did for me, isn't it? You repaired the chasm that was between us. You came to me. You are patient with me. You forgive me for all the things I've done at no cost to me. It cost me nothing. Me giving that guy seven lambs was nothing in comparison to what you've given me because you have blessed me. You have given me all that I have, and those seven lambs are just a token of what I have. It's nothing. When I look at what I gave away and what you've given me, this is nothing. And that's what God says. That's what, how God says to forgive. What we give away in forgiveness is nothing compared to the forgiveness that he has given us to, and the forgiveness that's eternal, that, can, that is continuous, that lasts forever. And so today, I just, and you know, honestly, we could preach, a, we could preach something on forgiveness every single week. And everyone would have something new, right? Because people are jerks, right? Sometimes we're jerks. But there's always a reason. No, there, I mean, there's always a reason to, to forgive. There's always some unforgiveness we're holding on to. And I think, I think because we hold on to unforgiveness, it is impossible for us to realize the forgiveness that we have in Jesus, how it is eternal, how it is everlasting, how he continuously wipes the slate clean when we just repent. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.